Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Coming up on today's show, my colleagues Seth Barron and Steve Malanga will discuss a hugely popular piece that Steve wrote recently about the battle over dollar stores in cities across the country. It struck a nerve with readers from across the political spectrum. Steve explains what the fuss is all about. But before we get started with the show, I wanted to tell our regular readers that the winter 2020 issue of City Journal is hot off the press and should be arriving in your mailboxes soon. It's a super strong lineup for the first issue of the new year and decade, including John Tierney on the needless panic over disposable plastic, Nicole Gelinas on how autonomous vehicles could boost Detroit's economy, Chris Rufo on Los Angeles's epidemic of drug addiction, Ralph Manguel on how incarceration of fathers affects children, Jim Miggs on the promise of next-generation nuclear power, and much more. If you're interested in subscribing to the magazine, you can visit our website to learn more at www.city-journal.org slash subscribe. That's www.city-journal.org slash subscribe. Each issue is designed with beautifully inspired covers, making it excellent material for your coffee table, living room, or anywhere else you'd like to impress your friends and family. And, of course, there's tons of great content in every issue. That's it for the introduction. The conversation about dollar stores between Seth Barron and Steve Malanga begins after this. Hello again, everyone. This is your host for today, Seth Barron. Joining me in the studio is City Journal's senior editor, Steve Malanga. Steve wrote a terrific piece for the website that got a lot of attention on social media last week, so we thought he would get him on the podcast to talk about it. The piece is called Unjust Deserts, or Unjust Desserts. I'm not sure how you'd want to stress that. And it shines a light on concerted efforts by cities across the country to ban dollar discount stores, or dollar stores as they're called, in poor neighborhoods. That So the proponents of the bans claim drive out supermarkets, and sell junk food. You can find the piece on the City Journal website, and we'll link to it in the description. Steve, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So you opened your piece by describing an academic term created over 20 years ago, which our listeners have probably heard before, called food deserts. What's a food desert? Basically, it's a place usually in a low-income community where supermarkets have not located. And so fresh fresh food doesn't seem to be um, readily available to residents unless you can get in your car and drive somewhere, which even low-income residents have cars. But unless you can do that, um, fresh food isn't available. So that's considered a food desert. So what do dollar stores have to do with them? Good question. <laughs> it seems like a stretch, doesn't it? So the, the latest theory, here's the thing is, for 20 years, basically, the um, argument has been that food deserts are bad because they help account for poor health outcomes among the poor. Uh, because uh, not having access to, let's say, fresh vegetables in your immediate neighborhood, you eat bad food, and that contributes to uh, poor health outcomes. Um, now, the problem is 
that over the last 10 years or so, there have been efforts to bring supermarkets into a lot of communities, and yet health outcomes haven't increased, haven't gotten demonstrably better. You can't demonstrate that that's made health outcomes better. So now the activists around America in urban areas and community activists are looking for another culprit, another reason why something isn't working. And they've chosen these discount stores, really dollar stores. I mean, there are a lot of different kinds of discount stores, but you know, the dollar stores, Family Dollar is a chain that's a very, very well known. Dollar General. Yeah, dollar General is the other one. Um, uh, uh, these are small stores, almost like the size of old style variety stores like Woolworths, Worth, if there's anybody out there who's old enough to remember Woolworths. Um, these, these stores have made a big impact in low-income communities, um, both in cities and also in rural areas, because they sell stuff cheap. In fact, I remember as a young financial writer going to write a story about um, Family Dollar, uh, and uh, on, their, on the walls of their stores, they used to have this logo, and every store was just, you know, good stuff cheap. That was their, that was their motto, basically. And uh, so they've, uh, they're very common now. Uh, in low-income neighborhoods, although they also, also uh, uh, expand a lot into middle-income neighborhoods. They just do a good business because people like shopping for bargains. But the idea is that they also sell food, but it's only sort of packaged food. And these stores, the, uh, the activists say, have gotten so popular that supermarkets can't go into poorer neighborhoods and compete with them, that instead residents go to these stores and buy this packaged food, and that's that's exacerbating the health problems of, um, of residents. Now, the thing is that that might sound like a loony idea uh, on the top, of, you know, just off the top of my head. When I heard that, I thought, that's crazy. But cities around America have begun banning or restricting dollar stores because of this notion. And also another idea, an allied idea from activists is that because these stores are discount stores, low stores that have, that that uh, sell off-price merchandise, that they lower the quality of the neighborhood and um, send a signal to other retailers, better retailers, not to come there, and that perpetuates poverty. Uh, so the thing is that cities around America have begun buying this notion, and they've uh, introduced zoning regulations to limit the number of these stores, and in some cases to require discount stores that are already in place to start selling fresh merchandise, which is a big leap. I mean, for, you know, to sell fresh merchandise, you need to have refrigeration, and, and uh, you need to have different suppliers. And uh, Well, you know. it's, I mean, it does sound plausible that if a store, if dollar stores are undercutting supermarkets and all they're selling is potato chips and soda, that it would create a lack of um, other choices. But you, in your piece, note some evidence that suggests it's not the lack of a grocery store that's driving poor diets. Um, can you elaborate Right. On well, that? first of all, let's start with the notion that dollar stores are undercutting supermarkets because they're selling potato chips. Um, the thing is, of course, there are many retailers in America that sell some kinds of foods that also are sold in supermarkets, just like supermarkets also sell light bulbs and hardware and other kinds of things, pet food that's sold in other stores. However, supermarkets are unique, and there's no, I've never heard of a theory uh, 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 in, let's say, antitrust law. I've never heard of a theory that uh, 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 discount stores in some way 
uh, would supersede uh, uh, or outcompete supermarkets as a category. Um, <clears throat> so on top of this, there's larger evidence. There a couple of things that are important. The whole food desert narrative is now being questioned uh, by academic research. Uh, a number of uh, economists have done a study, for instance, utilizing a database of uh, poorer neighborhoods where supermarkets have expanded in the past 10 years. And looking at food purchases in those neighborhoods, what they found is that when a supermarket comes into a neighborhood that was formerly a so-called food desert, that residents' purchases don't necessarily change. That, that in other words, if a different kind of food is available in your neighborhood because a supermarket is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to buy that food. And the conclusion that the uh, the economists make is this: it's a, I think it's something that's self-evident to the average person, and that is people are buying the food that they're buying, not because it's the only food available, but it's because that's what they want to buy. And this that, isn't Soviet Romania, <laughs> yeah, where exactly where you only have one choice. That's exactly right. And so it, what the economists in this one paper that I cite and link to in the piece, uh, uh, you know, propose is that the, the real solution is, is, of course, changing people's attitudes about what they want to eat, which is a problem, by the way, not just in low-income communities in America, but we do have some pro health problems and obesity problems uh, really throughout the income spectrum in America. So that the real solution, and it's a much harder solution, is is – changing people's attitudes about what they want to eat. But the idea that there are food deserts and that somehow or another this is, um, this is what's undermining the efforts of uh, poor people to improve their health, it's, it's just, it, 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 there's, nothing, there's no empirical evidence for this. And it's a bigger stretch to say, oh, and by the way, now it's discount stores that are creating food deserts. That just, you know, as, um, uh, as um, any number of people have pointed out, even in the comments to this particular story, um, stores go in neighborhoods where they know they're welcome. They, they don't have a practice of going in places where people don't want to shop at them. And if there's a demand for something like healthier food or fresher food, a retailer is going to go there uh, uh, and, and satisfy that demand. If they're not going someplace, it's probably because they don't see a demand there. And as the study suggests, that even when extraordinary efforts are, are made to brought in, bring in certain kinds of um, retailers to a neighborhood, it doesn't necessarily dramatically change what people buy. Well, what about the argument that uh, the presence of these dollar stores sends a signal generally that the neighborhood is in decline, that it's a poor neighborhood, and... Um, yeah, the problem with the activists who make this argument is they need to get out more. Because one thing about dollar stores, for instance, is that they, they are not exclusively expanding in poor neighborhoods. In fact, uh, I quote a story in the New York Times that years ago that was published in which, um, uh, which was about, basically, it was about the, the, the dollar store uh, dollar Store America, essentially. And what the story did was quote someone from A.C. Nielsen, the consumer research company, said that uh, the biggest area of expansion for dollar stores is in middle income and upper middle income neighborhood because this is just a, this kind of bargain shopping is just a fascination of Americans. So, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. There is a dollar store in a strip mall 
uh, in a community near mine uh, where average household income, median household income, according to the uh, Census Bureau, is uh, $82,000 a year. Yeah, you know? I mean, on, <laughs> on, right near here on Fifth Avenue and 46th Street or so, there's a store called Five Below. Right. Where yeah, oh, there you $5 go. Dollars yeah. or, or, or under. Oh, I always thought that referred to like winter wear for the. Oh. <laughs> I always thought it five degrees below. No, no, it's, 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 it's underground <laughs> and everything is under $5. Um, Okay, so how are uh, I mean? There's a number of cities uh, that you talked about that are trying to restrict dollar stores: uh, Fort Worth, Oklahoma City, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, how are they doing this? Is this are they just mostly through zoning regulations? You know, there's you could have zoning regulations. So that's one thing that local governments have have uh, uh, extensive control over, more so than just about any other thing. What municipalities are given control over by by states. Uh, and so you can do it through zoning regulations, and the zoning regulations can say we can only have so many stores selling this kind of merchandise under this size because these stores tend to be smaller stores. That's one. That's the. That's again, they're like the old variety store. They're not a big Walmart, you know, um, or a big Target. Um, so it's through zoning regulations, and the and the regulations. That, you know, we've seen this in other places too. Zoning regulations can be quite uh, restrictive. Uh, and so, you know, they haven't in the past necessarily targeted discount stores, if anything, but that's, that's the vehicle for which they're doing this. I see. Um, you know, neither of us uh, is an expert in dietary science, but we know a little bit about city and state government. So, you know, just to, just to you know, to, to summarize, I mean, what's the best approach for cities to improve diets in the community? Or is this even government's responsibility? Well, that's there you go. Let's start right there. The problem is that even when we're well-intentioned, we can send the wrong message. The best example of that is starting in the late 1970s, uh, Washington, uh, at the urging of senators like McGovern, uh, who had had a heart attack and therefore uh, changed his diet dramatically, uh, began issuing recommendations, FDA recommendations, for diets and what to eat and what not to eat. And this was really the beginning of a sustained effort against uh, eating meat, uh, against eating um, uh, 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 whole dairy, uh, and with promoting uh, uh, a more carbohydrate-based diet. We now know that many of the recommendations, particularly in the early years of the FDA uh, diet guidelines, have turned out to be uh, wrong. Um, that among the among the restrictions were restrictions put on eggs, for instance, and eggs are considered a, a very valuable source of uh, of um, a quality protein at a at a low price. And 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 there are quite a number of researchers who suggest. That in fact it was the FDA, the um, the federal government's uh, diet guidelines that led to an overreaction, uh, which turned people too far towards car carbohydrates. And ironically, what we've seen since the 70s is uh, is actually, I guess you could say, the fattening of America. And some, you know, prominent researchers now say that the FDA guidelines may have contributed to that. So. Um, so it's a very, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, I think we could all agree that eating more fresh fruits and vegetables uh, is a pretty good idea. And certainly through uh, I, uh, through education campaigns, let's say in schools, to educate kids about this, which is a tough. <laughs> anybody who has kids knows how tough of a task that is. But you know, we 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 can perhaps accomplish something. But 
but as um, as these education campaigns kind of sputter and fail to uh, make an impact, what happens is people become uh, more uh, tend to become, I guess, more and more autocratic about what they'd like to see government do, and and. Um, you know, it's it's a danger for a couple of reasons. One is because you can force people to do the wrong thing, which you know is something that we see in the in the in the, the dietary guidelines. And the other thing is you can simply you know come up with solutions that are, um, but there's no evidence for. And in the process, um, you're depriving these communities of the kind of stores that shopping patterns show they want for no reason at all. Steve. Um, I, I guess we'll just end by telling everyone to um, make sure that they uh, eat a good, <laughs> eat their five servings of fruits and vegetables today. Make sure you stay away from the potato chips and the soda. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, don't forget to check out Steve's piece at City Journal. It's called Unjust Deserts. You can find it on our website. You can follow City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore MI. Remember, you can email us at podcast at city-journal.org if you have any questions or suggestions. As always, if you like what you heard on the podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Steve, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests. You know, there's this new thing in podcasts now where, like, they, they I guess they have what they call these things, um, like, you start in the middle of the conversation. Like like, a, oh, yes. You know, like cold a cold open. Like a cold open, yeah. So, like, uh, you, you, you turn it on and they're, they're having right. a conversation, like, about, like, martinis or the be- sandwiches, and then they, sure. and then they like, then they get into Well, we could, we could try that. Steve, how's your martini? How's my martini today? <laughs> Not dry enough. <laughs>